Welcome to the Endurance Drive podcast. Our mission is to share the key principles that structure our approach to endurance training and coaching. I'm Jim. And I'm Katie. And today, Katie, do you know what we're talking about? We're talking about a very exciting topic. We're talking about religion and gospel, right? Yes, we are. And that religion is Zone Zone 2. So Zone 2 is something that we think about every single day. You will probably hear it on every single one of our podcasts. It goes by a lot of different names in um, the endurance world, and we will kind of go through those different names. But the point is, we're talking about low-intensity training. Mm -hmm. And it really is. It's it's the foundation of everything that that we do. Exactly. So I think maybe a natural place to start here is with some Zone 2 story time. So, Jim, can you tell us about your foray into the Zone 2 world? Sure. So my story is probably similar to many people who are listening here. You get interested in a sport and you start into it, maybe with probably without a coach. I started without a coach. And my approach was I would always go out and train at the same distance and the time and the pace. And my, mine was an eight-minute pace for eight miles at heart rate 160 to 165. It turns out that if you train that way, you also race that way. So I always raced also at an eight minute pace. And I'm talking here about mostly about sprints and Olympics at at, at this point, I wasn't doing any half Ironmans or Ironmans. So after some initial performance gained, I really just kind of plateaued at that, at that eight minute pace. And I spent that, spent the next couple of years sort of at that plateau. And I realized at some point, like I should probably get a coach and figure out what's what's going on here. So hold on for a second. You mean to tell me that all of your training runs were at your exact same pace that you raced that you did not see a difference between training runs and race pace? That is that is correct. So you decided to get a coach. What happened next? <laughs> well, it just turns out, so I, you know, so the problem was I was just training in that, in that we call it the gray zone, right? This is zone three. And that resulted in no benefits of easy running and it resulted in no benefits of fast running as well. So it was really just a task-oriented running, right? And I was very, as a result, I was very aerobically weak. So I hired a coach and we did metabolic and lactate testing to determine my proper training zones. And the results of the tests came back and it said, yes, in fact, you have no aerobic or <laughs> metabolic efficiency due to always changing, training in this zone three, this tempo, this special training. So they said, okay, here's your plan. Your plan for the next six months is to run between 10 minute and 11 minute pace, which is just crushing. And that must've felt pretty slow when you're used to running at eight minute pace all the time. And you've been told you kind of need to shuffle run walk in order to make any forward progress. It was a huge blow to the ego. Mm-hmm. And I would go to a track and I would run literally on a flat track at 11 minute miles. And my friends would stop me and say, Jim, are you injured? I said, no, I am not injured. I'm just running zone two. Aerobically, I'd say you were injured, but that's about it. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I did this for about six months over the winter time. And so my first race generally that was in Hawaii, a lava man, Olympic distance race. And that's in the first weekend in April. So we did this for all winter long, 10 minute, 11 minute pace, heart rate, 120, 140. And then leading into that race, we did very little speed work. I mean, just probably maybe two to 5% of the overall training time was was some sort of speed. So I went to this Olympic race and off the bike, I ran a 7.15 pace. Wow. So 45 seconds wow. off of my normal time. And I literally had spent 95% of the time or more at this 10 minute to 11 minute pace at heart rate 120 to 140. So- what, what happened? Yeah, what did happen? I don't, I don't know. So what happened was zone two, right? Yeah, yeah. Zone two is religion, gospel, and magic. 
But you'll hear us talk about zone two a lot. You'll also hear it referred to as other names as well. You'll hear polarized training. You'll hear 80-20. You'll hear aerobic training. This is really sort of all the same concepts. And Katie, have you, you've heard of other as well, too. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because when we think about different endurance terminology, there are lots of different models that people have developed. If you've ever, for example, checked out your zones and training peaks, there's 10 different ways that you could calculate what your heart rate training zones are. But what we're talking about here when we say zone two is low intensity training. So it's all pretty easy. And metabolically, we're talking about being under what's called your lactate threshold one, LT1. And we'll kind of go into details about what we mean there. But the point is that you are training super, super easy. And if we think back to Jim's story, this is, you know, even if you could race at eight minute miles, you are running those 10 to 11 minute miles. You are shuffling along and it feels way too easy at first. And we say easy, it's it's generally, you know, 65% to 72% of your, of your max heart rate. So this is really easy. And in practical terms, you could have a full conversation, an easy conversation with somebody if you were running and, and or biking, right? So a question that I have is, you know, we don't want to get way too into the science and physiology here because there are so many great resources out there that explain what's going on below the surface. But just at a high level, what is happening when you're training in this zone two that's different from training in those higher zones? Sure. So what to think about is that sort of the zone one, zone two, you know, builds, builds mitochondria. And then anything above that sort of improves the function of the mitochondria. And again, we're not going to go, we're not sports scientists. We're not going to go deeply into the physiology because frankly, I don't know all the physiology. And Katie, do you know all the physiology? I know that the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. That's about it. <laughs> Yay. Congratulations. It is. It is so, so really, yeah, we're talking about here is really building mitochondria. And you can think about mitochondria in the real simple form of that. It's sort of your fuel tank and it provides also the fuel and it's also this um, energy byproduct regulator. So the whole goal is how do I build more mitochondria, right? And more mitochondria also means uh, more ATP, which is more energy, which equals more en endurance. And I think we can talk a little bit about the metabolic gains that you get also by training in this zone. So the way we think about low intensity training is that you are burning kind of a mix of fat and carbs at that point. It's never going to be entirely fat, but it's a lot you know, more fat than carbs in the lower zones. And then as you get to higher zones, you are burning almost primarily carbs. So that's when we're talking about these lactate thresholds. It's sort of the point at which you're switching into a mix of kind of more carbs than fat and then eventually all carbs. And the reason that's really important when we think about long distance endurance racing is that you have a really big supply of fat to burn at a certain, I think it's something like 40,000 calories worth of fat just lives in your body ready to go, ready to be used for fuel. But you can only really hold like, you know, 2,000-ish calories worth of carbs. And so the point is that if you are burning just carbs, you are going to run out of energy so much quicker than if you're drawing on those fat stores. And so if you train at the lower intensities, you're training your body to use fat as fuel. And that is the only way to successfully get through these really, really long races, whether it's an Ironman, even a half Ironman, an ultra. When you're out there all day, big adventures in the mountains, you need to be burning fat. And you'll see this on, say, for example, if you go on a group ride with mm -hmm. a bunch of master athletes, right? And you'll see the pace goes off really, really hot, right? And most uh, communities have a, a Tuesday night or Wednesday night ride. We call it the, the Wednesday night worlds. And you'll see that the group goes off super hot for the first 60 to 90 minutes. But what you'll notice after uh, about 90 minutes or hour 45, that the whole entire group slows down. So what's happening there is everybody has burned off their glycogen and now they're they're trying to burn basically fat. And for most of those athletes who train 60 to 90 minutes, you know, they're, they're, the game is over for them, right? Mm -hmm. They don't, they do not have any metabolic efficiency to really burn fat. And they've now basically starting to bonk. Mm -hmm. 
And exactly, like even if you're going to be consistently fueling, often at those intensity zones, it's the higher intensity zones, it's very hard to stay on top of the metabolic demands and take in enough fuel to just keep going at that intensity forever. Your body just can't process it from a digestive perspective, from a metabolic perspective. So in general, it's really the way to go to be focusing on those lower intensities in order to make this process a lot more efficient. And also more benefits of, of zone two is that, as we alluded, it improves lactate efficiency and clearance. It also helps us build efficient, slow twitch muscles. And these are really your endurance endurance muscles. It also gently improves your mechanical strength. And you also get faster recovery, which is super important. We've talked about that in terms of season planning, being a, a distance athlete. You know, mitochondria really is involved with repairing and regenerating damaged muscle tissue. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about that intensity piece. What would you say the differences between this higher intensity training and lower intensity training in terms of injury risk, overtraining, things like that? Well, the, one of the great benefits of zone two, zone one, zone two, is that it's really hard to overtrain when you're training at heart rate, say, for example, 120. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's a huge, huge benefit. Exactly. And we like to do a lot of volume as we're preparing for Ironmans. And we find that the only way to be able to do that with our athletes to make that sustainable is to keep their intensity really low because if they're doing, you know, 60% of their work at really, really high intensity zones, you're going to hit burnout, you're going to hit injury, you're going to hit Ill illness. And we absolutely do not let our athletes do that. And the other, sorry, the last sort of the, one of the last benefits is that there's been a lot of studies recently about that zone two, this sort of aerobic work helps reduce the risk of cancer and other diseases associated with metabolic dysfunction. So again, we always sort of talk about training for a specific event and being athletes and, and trying to get faster and better beat the competition or beat yourself, but really some of the our higher calling is to have healthy individuals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you maybe are kind of new to endurance training, would you recommend someone starts with just that higher intensity stuff or is zone two kind of for everyone, something that we can really implement across the board? So zone two really is for everyone. The, best, the nice part about it is it's sort of physiological fact, right? So if you are human, then zone two will work for you. Mm -hmm. So it works 100% of the time, which is really great. So we're not talking about a really a training philosophy. We're just talking about fact. And for us as coaches and as the endurance drive business, it's nice to to ground ourselves in um, what is fact and what is science and just what is what is reality. So we don't have these debates with an athlete who's maybe training, you know, five hours a week saying, coach, I can't, you know, I'm only training five hours a week, so I don't need to train high intensity. It's like, no, 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 still zone two still works for you. And if you're also training at 20 hours a week, Obviously, zone two works for you as well. So maybe this is actually relevant too to the conversation about you know some intensity. Are there benefits to some intensity? We've talked about eighty twenty. What that means is eighty percent zone two and twenty percent higher intensity stuff. How would you say the idea of intensity work fits into this broader model of zone two, and what does that generally look like? So we generally, I think we talked about in the last episode is season planning, right? So now it's it is the winter time, and what we're really practically looking for is you know six months of sort of this mostly zone two type based um, exercise. But yeah, with some spice thrown in there, some ten to twenty percent of spice thrown in there. So that might be that maybe pickups, that may be twenty second in the running or in in cycling. Uh, it can be fast twenty fives in the in the pool as well. And I think the other point to make is that a little bit of speed goes a long way here. So we find that with just incorporating these pickups and incorporating really short bursts of high intensity, you can get a lot of those more fast twitched muscle adaptations that will carry you into faster distances. That's probably how we saw, you know, Jim, you said you were doing maybe only two to five percent of your volume was speed work in that time. But those little things matter and they do help you kind of build that top end without overloading in higher intensity work. 
And the common question we get a lot is, you know, okay, so you guys are triathletes, you're mountain, you're mountain athletes as well. You know, obviously zone two works for you, but what about, you know, other sports, right? You know, I'm a cyclist, primary cyclist or a rower. And what they have found is that, you know, any endurance sport, which is, you know, defined as really anything over four minutes. So your sport is, takes you more than four minutes, right? You will benefit from zone two. So for example, they've shown this in Olympic speed skaters that the training zones over time, again, zone one, zone two, spending most of the time in there, cyclists, runners, cross-country skiers. So across all endurance sports, this 80-20, this zone two principle really works for everybody. Again, because people are just humans. Absolutely. So maybe let's talk a little bit about how to implement this in practice. So what do the workouts look like? How can you get started with zone two? What type of information or resources do you need to do your own zone two training? Sure. So there's a lot of ways to to find your your zone two on the bike and the run. And so one of the, the first way to do it is, and it's much more difficult, is to go get metabolically tested, right? So that's VO two max testing, that's lactate testing, and we've we've done some of that. You've here done that once before, yeah. And we would say this is actually something that is sort of at the top end of performance. If you've been training in zones for a long time and you really want to get the most precise possible numbers. Metabolic testing is the gold standard, but in practice, it can be a little bit hard to find places that do that. It's pretty unpleasant. So picture, you know, putting a mask on and a nose clip and being forced to run in a hot room on a treadmill at increasingly high intensities and have someone stab your finger every three minutes while you do that and the treadmill gets faster. This probably sounds pretty rough to you right now. So luckily, there are some ways to do it with simple back of the napkin math as well. Sure. So we have a number of tests that we use here. We use a, a, a two by 10 minute a run test. Or you can use, like, say, for example, like a 5K, for example, for running, and you just you're going to probably hit your max heart rate at, a, at your local 5K, and so again, sort of 60 percent to 72 percent of your of your max heart rate is, would be you know a general guidance for for your zone two, right? And that's an easy way to find that. Or if you're doing an FTP test or just a really hard group ride, right, you're probably going to hit your max max heart rate. So again, you can use that max heart rate to then back off and say, okay, what's around 70% of my max heart rate? So that's a way to sort of get in this, the zone of zone two, if you will, right? So example, if we did a run test and we got up to 187 beats per minute as your max heart rate, you could just multiply that times 0.7, 70%. And that puts my aerobic threshold at 130 beats per minute. That means I want to stay under that if I'm going to stay in zone two Correct. or around there. And on the internet, there's tons of calculators out there. Training Peaks has them. There's a whole bunch of them there. And if you have questions about this stuff, obviously just reach out to us and we're happy to point you in the right in the right direction as well. A really easy way to figure out if you're in zone two again, sort of on the bike or out running or even or even hiking, for example, is just to use nose breathing. Right? So I, what's nose breathing? So you just breathe. I can just like it says, break a breathe through my nose. Wow. I have this really easy conversation. That means your mouth is closed. So if you go out on a track and you just keep your mouth closed and start running, once you need to open your mouth to take a bigger breath of air, you're probably leaving your your zone two aerobic threshold. Exactly right. You could be having a, a podcast. Exactly. In zone, in zone two, right? Exactly. <laughs> and I would say honestly, the foundation for this podcast has been the fact that Jim and I stay in zone two and talk, talk, talk the entire time, and we're doing our aerobic training during that. And the important thing here is, is when in doubt is you want to aim lower in your zone, not not higher in your zone. So we say, so for example, if you're, as in Katie's example, if her uh, top of her zone two is say 135 heart rate, the goal is not to go to 135 and stay there. You really get the same benefit, even greater benefit, even staying even lower in your zone. So don't just view that as the ceiling and go to the ceiling and stay there, but actually just, you know, stay, you know, 120, say 120, 135, right? So. Exactly. Yeah. It's not necessarily strive for that value. It's stay well under it if you can, especially because unless you're getting that metabolically tested, you might not know exactly what's right in terms of zones. So 
err on the side of caution, go a little bit lower than that. And then, of course, you're not getting as much impact. You're reducing that injury risk from going a little bit too hard. And again, if any questions you guys have on this, just just reach out to us. We're always happy to help you You know, find your zone too. We Obviously, we love talking about this. So let's let's expand out in a little bit, talk about a hypothetical week of training in zone two. So let's say I'm at the beginning of my season. We talked about season planning. What are some of our athletes weeks looking like now if they're trying to really build that aerobic base foundation? Sure. So right now, we, uh, typically we, what we like to do is, uh, you know, Monday, most people take a day a day off, right? And that could also be, day off could also mean like light strength or yoga or walking. So it should be some sort of active active recovery, right? Tuesday, a zone two run could be, again, sort of running in that that very easy nose breathing area. But you could also can include some, you know, 20-second fast feet turnovers in the last miles with a 40-second recovery, right? So an easy run. So basically, the overall, the run comes out into zone two heart rate and pace, but you are also working on a little bit of neuromuscular with your fast feet. And we find with that fast feet, it should be so quick that your heart rate's not even necessarily going to go straight to threshold. You're going to come right back down or even stay in zone two during that time. And of course, that overall average is going to be nice and low. So that's Tuesday. And then maybe on a Wednesday, it's also another back to either a zone two run or a, or a zone two bike or, 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 an e, or an easy swim. Thursday, we tend to do Tuesday, Thursdays running. It works for most people. And then again, back to Tuesday, zone two run, but we may include things like 10 by 30 seconds with fast feet with 30 seconds of recovery. So a little bit quicker, but still the goal is overall, you know, zone two pace and zone two heart rate. Friday, again, back to sort of like, sort of like similar to Wednesday, like a zone two bike, zone two run, maybe an easy swim as well. And then on weekends, we generally incorporate some longer zone two activity, right? That could be hiking, that can be biking, that can be running. We love incorporating hills mm-hmm. into our zone two because it's sort of organic strength, but also be aware that if you live in a hilly area, that you may want to walk some of those hills to keep your heart rate in check. So it doesn't really work to go out and do a zone two run if your heart rate spikes up to say 165 every time you hit a hill. And, mm-hmm. right. and get comfortable with walking. A lot of people find that in the very beginning, it's really hard to stay in zone two, even on flat terrain without a little bit of walking, but we love walking. And if you find that you know, looking at the pace is difficult for your ego or looking at the mileage, we'll just say, hey, do a 45-minute run in zone two. And it doesn't matter how far you go and it doesn't matter how much you walk. We just want to see those mitochondrial and meta- metabolic and aerobic adaptations happening. Yeah, we love walking. We do. We really love walking. Yeah. We walked a bunch on our run just the other day and we've been doing zone two for a long time. It's perfect. And walking is highly underrated. Mm, absolutely. You know, I think, think part of what I want to bring as a coach to to the masses is that walking is really, really good, mm-hmm. good training. It's good aerobic training. It's good metabolic training. I love it. Mm-hmm. And you will find that as you do more and more zone two, you're probably going to need less and less walking to stay there. You will get to a point where you can just run the entire time. But even in terms of a race strategy, we will sometimes recommend a walk-run strategy. In an Ironman, for example, if you are walk-running 26 miles, you're going to be a lot faster than the people that are walking all 26. And those are the people that raced in zone three, four for the first couple hours and now are completely spent. So just play that long game, be patient with it. And even if there's a little bit of walking, you will still be moving super efficiently. Absolutely. Another benefit about walking is just it's very social. Like we say, mm-hmm. we go off these runs, we will do a little running, we'll do a little walking. But you can also, if you have a family, you could take your family out mm-hmm. for a walk or a hike. So it really, or or any, you know, fast people and slow people can go together and mm-hmm. they can go for a hike and for a walk. So it is, so walking is very very, very social. And we talk a lot about this sort of joy, health, and community. Mm -hmm. Walking really fits into this joy, joy being it's super fun, right? Health being that it's healthy and community that we're doing it with other people, right? So that really fits in with that. Absolutely. So question for you, if I, for example, do this week, do a lot of zone two 
when do I get to do the exciting speed stuff? When I get when do I get to do 12 by 800s on the track? When is this stuff happening? Does it ever change or is it always zone two forever? <laughs> it's zone two forever, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we would say there is a time and a place there for that speed work. Yes, there is. Yeah. So everybody always asks, okay, this is, this is great. So Jim, we, we're doing a lot of zone two, but when do we get to the really, really good stuff? And like we talked about in our last podcast, season planning, is that we typically think about the last 12 weeks before your A race is really this specific preparation period. And that's when we start to get even, you know, the sort of the spicy, the, the longer intervals. And we, yeah, we will be working in the zone three, zone four, zone five. Those zones are super important. You will hear us talk a lot about zone two, but in order to improve the function of the mitochondria, we do have to work in those in those higher zones. So, so yes, 80% probably of our talk is about zone two, right? But there is 20% that we actually will be doing stuff that is hard. So, People describe this zone two training as sort of six months of really easy, it's almost even boring training, right? Being very, very patient. And then the last three months of like, oh, this is kind of hard, right? So we're going to switch. We're going to keep it really sort of polarized in the sense of like easy is easy and the hard is hard. And the other thing that we'll underscore is that 80-20 actually like applies all the time. So you always want to have 80% of your training being easier. What we're seeing change over time is the overall volume of training. So when we're in really, really high volume, that 20% is going to be more minutes and hours in those higher intensity zones, but that's being supported by a whole lot of volume that just continues. So we really just think about volume building over the course of the season. And early on, maybe you're kind of brand new to your training plan and your week only has six hours or so of training. Well, only 20% of that is going to be, you know, that fast feet, that slightly more moderate or hard miles. Whereas later on, if you're doing a 20 hour training week, we have a lot more time to play with in terms of when you're going a bit harder but we are never getting into a world in which 100% of your work is in those higher zones. So Jim, what are some common zone two mistakes that you see as people are like, all right, I'm willing to try this. They say that they're bought in, but it doesn't work. What are the mistakes that have happened? Is it zone two that's broken? Is there something else going on? It's the athletes that are broken. <laughs> <laughs> you are broken. As, 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 love coach, you, as coaches always say, it's the athletes who are broken. So really, <laughs> so, but what are some of the common zone two mistakes that, that we that we see here are, again, we talk about is, is most runners are running too fast on their slow days and then they're too slow uh, on their fast days. So again, we're really sort of polarizing. We're sort of saying easy is easy and hard is hard. And again, that's a really hard thing to do if you're not being coached. I think almost the sort of the common theme I see of almost every athlete who comes and talk to us is who's doing unstructured training is this, that they're just running in that middle gray zone. They're never running slow enough to get the benefits and they're running fast enough to get the benefits of the speed and power. So we would say another thing that comes up a lot is, you know, people just believing that they have this unique physiology and that zone two doesn't actually work for them. I would say I see that with pretty much every new athlete that I take on. They're like, oh, well, I like this in principle. That sounds good for all you guys. But I am sure that I'm faster if I go in zone three and four. And the thing that's really tough with zone two is that you will be going slower for a little while to start. But if you trust that process, eventually you'll see those gains. And I think a lot of people believing that zone two doesn't apply to them is they just haven't trusted the process for long enough. If you do this for a week, you know, you may not really see adaptations. It may it could take six weeks. It could take a few months to really let those things sink in. But for all of our best, you know, athletes who have had the best performances, they will tell you that as soon as they started to trust the process, they were going faster. Eventually, they were getting less injured and they were really enjoying it. So what you're saying is they were able to take their ego and, and they were able to it? take their ego away. And if that's hard for you, you know, we recommend maybe, hey, take a break from Strava or take a break from, again, tracking that mileage so intently in that pace. Think about going for time. Think about going for heart rate, because it is a little bit of a check to an ego. If, you know, just like you said, Jim, if you've been running 
eight miles at eight minute pace all the time, it, it hurts to go to the track and run 11 minute miles. Yeah. And as humans too as well, we're, we're, and I think a lot of us are type A, we're really very focused on a task. We're very task oriented mm-hmm. people, whereas zone two really forces you into this process oriented and being, again, being very patient and taking, it could take you know, many weeks and months. And, and honestly, it takes years to, to, you can continue to build your aerobic base over, over many, many years. Mm-hmm. We've been doing this for a long time now, and we still focus on that 80-20 no matter what. The 20 might look a little bit different, and the 80 might look a whole lot faster in zone two than it used to, but it's still zone two, and it's still really much guided guided by heart rate. Another common mistake we see is that people, it is a tough one because people have training partners or they have a running group they want to go to, or maybe even a master's swim group or something. But generally what happens in in those group settings is that the group runs to sometimes usually the fastest people, right? And so again, we like to, we really encourage people to to join groups. And again, that part of that health in the community to be with other people because training can be super lonely, right? Hopefully you can find uh, a group or a partner that wants to go do some zone two with you. And don't be afraid to spread the zone two gospel. You know, it's possible that your training partner is also chronically training in zone three, four. And as soon as you just clear the air and you're like, hey, wouldn't it be nice if we could have a conversation and not be gasping for air in between every breath? You might actually just convert them to our religion as well. Perfect. (laughs) So let's actually talk a little bit more about, you know, if this feels kind of boring and it feels frustrating, what are some other ways that you can build that zone two aerobic base? Right. So there's lots of ways. So zone two, yes, there can be a lot of variety with zone two. So we've talked about a little little bit. So for example, you know, for your runs, you can do the speed, you know, fartlicks, which is really the speed play. You can go out and run. Again, you're running mostly you know, slow, but you, you know, t- pick a, take a telephone pole and run fast from pole to pole, right? Or run to a tree or run to the end of the driveway. So make it fun, right? So there's lots of things you can do here. You can do cut down runs, right? You can start super, super slow, like go out and start at like a, let me like a 12 minute pace, right? But then cut that run down, like say take off five or 10 seconds per mile for the next three to five miles. And maybe you end up at, you know, maybe a nine minute pace, right? So there's all kinds of ways here. You can do max hill sprints, which are great. We love we love max max hill sprints. That really builds power and speed. And again, these are eight to ten seconds of just max effort up a hill, and that can be done at the at the end of a zone two run. We also love our our max sprints, sort of on a slight incline as well too. That's great for building speed and power. And we, again, we talked about twenty second pickups, thirty second pickups. Again, those can be on the running. That can be biking. Again, that can be fast twenty fives in the pool as well. And also something that we're really, we're, we're big on is doing some running drills and some mm-hmm. files as mm-hmm. well too, right? So there is some variety here, right? Mm-hmm. And that variety extends to even other types of activities. So if you are moving your body, you are in zone two. If you're doing yard work, if you're gardening, if you're stand up paddling, if you're lifting weights, these are all different ways to actually be usually in that lower intensity heart rate zone. And, you know, just get outside and move as much as you can. And that actually often buys you a little bit more leeway to increase the number of minutes or hours that is your 20% of intensity because you've got this huge foundation to support it. So, you know, log your activities. We think it's useful if people are dropping in the other aerobic work that they're doing into training peaks just so we can see kind of where they're at. I have one athlete who is a triathlete and a skater, and she puts a lot of skating into training peaks. And we know that that's all contributing to her zone to aerobic base because it is in that, you know, 120 to 130 heart rate range most of the time. And that does buy us a little bit more space to play with extended intervals and stuff, especially as her season goes on. Yeah. Okay. That's a, that's a great point. We're always uh, advocating for, uh, you know, things other than just swim, bike, run, right? Because, you know, we, we are ostensibly triathlon coaches. And so our, our focus really is on the sw- swim, bike, and run. But most people who know us know that we love to do many other things besides just swim, bike, and run. So like, all the things you outlined are just 
perfect zone two aerobic build base building. So we really, really, really encourage that. Absolutely. So just to wrap up, we'll recap what we did today. We talked a lot about zone two and how to test it, how to figure out where it is. One thing we'll add to that is since this is so heart rate ba- based, we really recommend that you get a chest strap. Usually the wrist based heart rate calculations are not that accurate. And you might be looking down and saying, you know, I'm nose breathing, I'm walking and it says my heart rate is 178. It might be picking up your run cadence on your watch. So get those heart rate straps to make sure that your heart rate testing is accurate. And then, yeah, run a lot of easy, cycle a lot of easy, swim a lot of easy, a little bit of moderate, a little bit of intensity, but listen to your coach on that and keep the easy, easy, keep the hard, hard. That's the gospel, people. It is. Yes. Yes. Now spread the good news to the rest of your endurance community. Thanks for listening. Thanks. See you guys soon. Bye. Bye.